Our text for today is from our gospel reading, which you heard a few moments ago, from Matthew chapter 26. As we journey along with Christ to the cross, and on Ash Wednesday, we were there in the great city of Jerusalem. And today in this passage, we've journeyed with Christ just a couple of miles outside of that city to a small village called Bethany, where something extraordinary takes place. Jesus is there in Bethany. He's at the home of a friend, Simon the leper. We assume this is a man that Jesus has healed, for the people are gathered there in his home. And while Jesus is there reclining at the table and he's eating his meal, a woman walks into the room. Matthew does not name who this woman is. But it says that she takes an alabaster jar of ointment. This is perfume, alabaster, a stone jar of perfume. Jesus is sitting at table and having his meal. And again, this is just maybe a day or two away from the Passover, from his crucifixion. And she takes that perfume, it's described as very expensive, and empties it, pours it all out onto the head and to the body of Jesus Christ. And to this, Christ describes what she has done, saying that in this, she has done something beautiful. She's done a beautiful thing to me, he says. And then he says this in verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we are remembering her in this act of faith. And that's what I want to do in this message today. I want to honor her. I want to remember her. I want us to learn from her. What does it mean to be a Christian? We see that in her. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to let go and to have faith in Jesus? As we say here at our Father, to have extraordinary life in him. She's an ordinary person with an extraordinary life. How can we, how can you have that faith, that type of life? That's our focus today in this text. Let's begin with prayer. Oh, dearest Jesus, we thank you for your gospels for your word, and we pray that you would write its eternal truth upon our hearts, that we might be changed and set free from all the vain things of this world and this earthly life. Be with the one who teaches and who dares to proclaim your truth in your word, and be with all of us who are growing in your grace. For we pray this in your name. Amen. Starting with verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, this perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table 
When the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. Now to understand this woman, again, this woman that Matthew does not name, to understand and to see her faith in this extraordinary life, I think it helps to do so in contrast with the disciples and their lack of faith, the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their eyes. It says here that they were indignant that she would waste all of this expensive ointment, this perfume. They say, they claim, we could have sold it and given all that money to the poor. Oh, they're outraged, these disciples. And you know what? They would have fit in really well in the culture of today with all of this indignation and outrage. We live in an age which almost enjoys being outraged. In fact, I'm outraged at how outraged people get. Whether you're on the right, there's indignation and outrage. If you're on the left, there's outrage. Whether you're religious and it's religious outrage or growing secular outrage where everyone is so outraged at all these different things. Again, we almost enjoy it. What's this all about? Well, the disciples here, there's no love, there's no mercy, there's no grace. They're indignant at this woman. How could she do this? And when you're indignant and when you are outraged at someone else, it means that you're one of the good people and they're one of the bad people. In fact, to the degree that you're outraged and you show your outrage to the world, then you can prove, you can virtue signal to others and say, look at me, look at how outraged I am. I really must be one of the good people. And if you're not as outraged as I am, you must be one of the bad people. We see that here in the disciples. We see it in religion. We see it in this growing secular outrage that's out there in the world. Again, it's not loving. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness. There's no mercy. And what this is, whether it be it religious or secular, it's a form of trying to justify yourself and to make yourself feel better about yourself. The disciples simply, again, do not get it. They do not understand what Jesus is all about. Although he has told them so many times about his coming suffering and death, his crucifixion, he has told them. And so they don't accept it. They don't see it. They don't believe it. But this woman is so different. Again, she takes this alabaster flask, this it's described as very expensive ointment. The disciples say they could have sold it for a large sum of money. And Matthew doesn't tell us exactly how much this perfume was worth. But in John's gospel, in his account of this story, John chapter 12, he does tell us how much this perfume was worth. He tells us it was worth three hundred denarii. One denarii was a day's wage. Three hundred denarii, assuming you are observing the Sabbath day, that is an entire year's worth of wages. That's an entire year's salary. She has taken that thing which she would have depended upon. She has taken that thing which she would have relied upon. She would have taken her perhaps retirement plan and this safety net. 
She took the thing that was of greatest value to her and she empties it out. She pours it out onto the flesh, the head, the body of Jesus Christ. Why? Why is she doing this? Well, Jesus says that to, at least to some degree, she understands maybe certainly in a way the disciples don't, in a way that most people don't, what's about to happen to Jesus. She's anointing his body for his burial. But why is she doing this? And who is this woman? Well, again, Matthew doesn't tell us who she is. But again, John's gospel does. And John tells us in John chapter 12 that this woman's name was Mary. Now, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, different Mary. This was Mary who had a sister named Martha, who had a brother named Lazarus. For those of you who grew up in the church, you know the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We have so many members who didn't grow up in the church or are newer to Christianity, and you're, maybe you know a little bit about Mary and Martha. You've, maybe you've heard that somewhere before, but let's learn a little bit more about who this Mary was and why she would do this for Jesus. The first time we encounter Mary and her sister Martha, we find this in Luke chapter 10. And it says this, listen to how this is described. It says, Jesus entered a village, that's the village of Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Can you see that? At the Lord's feet. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. And Jesus answered her saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled by many things, but there's only one thing that is necessary. There's only one thing you need, Martha. Mary has chosen what is good. And this cannot be taken away from her. Now, can you see that scene in your imagination, in your mind's eye? You see what's happening here. Martha has welcomed Jesus into her home, and there is Mary. And Mary is described as sitting at his feet, and she listened to his teaching. The Greek here, the implication is it wasn't just in one ear and out the other. She listened. She really heard what he was saying. And it was changing her. And it was transforming her. And sitting at his feet and the verbal aspect and the tenses here, this is sort of a repeated action. Jesus could have been at this house for several days. This wasn't just a few minutes or even a few hours. It was perhaps every day Mary would wake up and sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him hear him. And of course, her sister Mary is being a good host. This is an honor-shame culture. Hospitality is huge in terms of your identity and your honor and who you were. And she is running ragged. And Lord, she's just sitting there and I am doing everything and you tell her to help me. And Jesus knows where her security and her identity and sense of self is coming, her honor and pride from being this wonderful host. And he says, Martha, you are so anxious and troubled about so many things. Oh, don't you see? 
There is only one thing that you really need. And that one thing is me. And that one thing can never, ever be taken away. Don't you see that Mary has chosen the good portion, he says. There at the feet of Jesus in learning, it's a relationship. There's an intimacy there at his feet. Now, the second time that we encounter Mary and Martha, this is in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and it's the account of when their brother Lazarus has died. He was very ill. They sent word to Jesus for some reason. Jesus delays. He doesn't get there to Bethany. Again, Bethany in time, and Lazarus dies. And so when Jesus finally arrives, before he can even get to the house, it says while Jesus was still on the road, Martha went out. It says when she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. Can you see that? She is giving him a piece of her mind. She is angry. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus speaks to her. I am the resurrection and the life. But then Mary. And I see Mary there in her bed of grief. And finally, when she makes her way to Jesus. It says, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, where did she end up? She fell at his feet, saying to him, and she says the exact same words as her sister Martha, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, where were you? Jesus, I love you. Where were you? And she's not yelling. She is weeping at his feet. And it says that when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he, Jesus, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And it says, verse 35, and Jesus wept. And we see in this into the very heart of the universe, into the very heart of God himself, who comes alongside of us and who came alongside Mary and was brokenhearted, deeply moved in spirit, and he's weeping with her. He loves her so much. And then you maybe know the story. He goes again and he's deeply moved. It's like the same emotion of, of an animal that is trapped in a corner. He's bellowing with rage now at the reality of sin and death. And he goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is quickened and he comes back to life again. Jesus, thank you. 
You've displayed your glory. And so now we come to this final encounter between Mary and Jesus, and he has returned to Bethany one final time. And again, the implication here in a way that the disciples and so many others didn't, Mary understood on some level what was about to happen. His suffering and death. The Lord has come. The Lord is here again. Oh, how can I show him how much he means to me? How can I show him my love? How can I show him my devotion to him? And she goes to her house and she finds, I think it was reflective, spiritual muscle memory. It was reflective. And she goes and she takes the thing that is of greatest value to her, the thing that she is depending on, but she knows there is only one thing that is needful, one thing that she really needs. She takes that expensive perfume worth over a year's of wages and she finds Jesus and she walks into this room of men and she's probably not even allowed to be there as a woman and she empties it and she pours it out onto him as an act of love and of devotion and of worship And it's on his head and his body. John describes this perfume filled the house, the smell, the fragrance. And this is just a day or two before the Passover, a day or so before his crucifixion. And I've never thought of this before, but that fragrance would have been on him in the upper room. The fragrance and the smell of that beautiful perfume would have been on him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, all the disciples fell asleep and couldn't even stay with him a single hour. And there, Jesus, and that fragrance, oh. And when he was arrested and when he was beaten and when he was nailed to the cross, that fragrance would have been on his body. And when he was taken down from the cross and wrapped in linen shrouds and placed in the tomb, the fragrance, and oh, what a blessing. That would have been to him, our Lord. What is God, what is Christ, what is Jesus calling you to, to pour out before him today? Oh, I have so many false gods. My heart is an idol factory. I manufacture a different idol a different day. What do you think you need to have to be happy? And what do you have to have in your life? I've got to have this or I've got to have that. I won't even say it. What is it? Pour it out. Empty it out. Look, you're in. You're in by grace, okay? But we want to grow in that relationship. This extraordinary life, this freedom, this beauty, this beautiful thing she has done to Jesus. As we hear again these words of this wonderful old hymn, when I survey... When my imagination is taken up with the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, all the things I think are so wonderful in my life, I count but loss and I pour contempt on all of my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, if you own the world, that, even that would be a tribute far too small 
Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, and my all. To Christ alone be all the glory. Amen.